Welcome to Lemp Report Live. On today's broadcast, food delivery has yet more challenges. Consumers say they want more sustainable options, what retailers have to do now. Are GMO labels actually working? 3D food printing is alive and well, and a fast food chain's secret weapon. On the bullseye, it's all about de-influencers and why they're even more important to pay attention to than influencers. Check out Food News Today on SupermarketGuru.com for the most up-to-the-minute news feed, courtesy of our partnership with Zizen. Let's get started. So, Sally, when we talk about food delivery, um, what's happening is there's a lot of cities who are now changing their caps. During the pandemic, they started capping delivery services at 15%. They're now taking those off. There's complaints coming from restaurants and consumers. Uh, some say that, you know, they're going to go back up as high as 30%. And there's actually the delivery companies themselves that are complaining and talking about the tens of millions of dollars that they've lost because of these caps. What is going on with food delivery? Yes, Phil. Well, you know, back when the shutdown happened and we were right at the beginning of the pandemic, these these caps um, were actually put in place in some cities to really help these restaurants that were struggling and had lost so much business. So so putting that cap on the commission helped them um, stay in business. Um, but now cities like San Francisco, New York, um, Clark County in Las Vegas, they are now dropping those commission caps. So now the Uber Eats and DoorDash and Grubhub, all these companies, they can go back up. Now they are saying that um, that they need these big commissions on the restaurants because um, if they didn't have them, they would have to hike up the delivery fees for customers. Um, so that is the argument coming from the delivery side. Um, from the restaurant side, it's a different story. Yeah, and, and I've got to tell you, I think that the whole food delivery uh, situation has got to change um, quickly. And, and you know, I think otherwise it's going to go the way of the dodo bird. Um, you know, food delivery has been a convenience, obviously a necessity during the pandemic. But um, I don't think that food delivery works outside of major metropolitan areas like New York, like Chicago, where there's high concentrations of it. And and frankly, you know, when I look at the disconnect between food delivery, not only from the economics, but as we've talked about before, food delivery has none of the human emotion um, of food. And I think that's the biggest drawback that a lot of these food delivery services have. It's all about speed. It's It's all about, you know, doing as many deliveries as you can and frankly, you know, they don't really care about the food and connecting with the person who's ordering the food. And I think that's got to change if food delivery is going to survive. Yes. And, you know, something else I've noticed, Phil, is that, you know, half the time when we order food to be delivered here in Nashville at, at our home, um, there's a mistake in the order. And the problem is, is that we can't talk directly to the restaurant um, to get that resolved. It's on the delivery um, company. And so it really doesn't it, it's very difficult to get it resolved and um, and to, you know, to get a refund or to get the right order. So there, there is a, there is a disconnect right here. I think also with the customer and the restaurant's relationship. 
Yeah. And I think it's going to have to be fixed before, you know, it can proceed. And, you know, as we've talked about a dozen times, you know, in in New York City alone, there's over 60,000 bike delivery services for either uh, people for either restaurants or um, or supermarkets. And, you know, that's way too many. And again, a lot of these drivers are just complaining that they can't make money or the dangers. And also these companies keep on pushing them. So they're getting in traffic accidents. They're getting their bikes stolen. We need a different way. Maybe it's drones. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, but uh, but who knows? Uh, let's talk about sustainability. Um, there's a new survey that's just come out that says that 65% of consumers want to make the right spending choices to live a healthier and more sustainable life. I don't think anybody can really, um, argue with that. Uh, but you know, if we take a look at sustainability and I'm going to go back to what I always say, it's about climate. It's about, you know, agriculture. We've got record droughts. Uh, we've got record floods globally. Um, and and frankly, you know, we're, we're not even talking about the whole methane gas situation, which is looming in, in front of us. What can retailers do uh, to to be able to help this situation? Not only retailers, but what what should retailers and brands be doing? Yes, well, you know, a great company that is a great example, um, sort of leading the charge in this area is Nestle, and and they are, you know, they are investing in um, five hundred thousand farmers to um, transition to regenerative farming practices, um, to take care of the soil and to keep the soil really healthy. Um, they're replenishing natural water cycles, um, and you know, doing things to um, to uh, soak up carbon. Emissions. So, so these are great efforts they're doing. But what we also is in the what's also in the conversation for retailers and for brands is how to get consumers to um, be attracted to uh, food products that are better for the climate. Because we can change the way that we farm, but we also need to change the way that we eat and the way we communicate. And what this uh, group from um, We Forum uh, talks about are three ways to do that. One is having clear and credible information. Yay, of course. I mean, that's one of the big problems that we've got in the food world, um, having clear, credible, accurate information, uh, matter of fact. Um, we, we also go on where they say affordability and availability. That's uh, the problem. Their data shows that one in two consumers cite cost as the main barrier to making more sustainable choices. Um, we can't have that happen. And third, which was really interesting to me, was attractiveness. Uh, so taking away the obvious barriers of price and availability um, and providing the clarity to allow informed decisions, only half of the problem. It's also vital that we make sustainable options as tasty and appealing, if not more so, than less sustainable alternatives. We can't compromise on quality and enjoyment. No question about it. I mean, when we started to see organics first come out and they were way overpriced, um, it 
it was a wake-up call to the organic industry. They came more in line with their prices, and guess what happened? Consumers gravitated towards them, and it's a burgeoning business that keeps on growing. Uh, talking about organics, um, we had about a year ago GMO food labeling uh, that was passed by USDA. They required it. What's going on with it? Or I, I haven't heard anything about it. Are people paying attention to it? Has it affected the sales of GMO products? What's going on? Yes, it's really interesting, Phil, because, you know, uh, years ago when we were covering uh, GMOs, it seemed to be a very hot topic among, among consumers. And now you see very little about it. Um, but but since since um, the law has been passed that these products that contain GMOs have to be labeled, which um, was at first voluntary and then last year it became mandatory, um, there has been a little bit of confusion on this. Now, for starters, the word GMO is not used in the label. Bioengineered is the word that is used. And some people feel that are people that are critics of this feel like that's really not painting the full picture for people. Now, now, there are 13 products uh, that are considered GMO. Um, if you Google GMO uh, agriculture, you can find that list. Um, but one of but the, one of the main things on there that is oftentimes in in foods that we eat um, is corn. And you know this is we we find this in high fructose corn syrup. Now the problem here is that this th this corn is processed so much when making these products that it's essentially stripped of its DNA. So these companies can get around labeling it as bioengineered because it is no longer a bioengineered product once it has been through this process. Yeah, and you know, you bring up corn, but corn, canola, soybeans, and sugar beets, most of those are being used as ingredients and most of the crops that are grown are GMOs. Um, it's it's amazing to me. And if you look at, at products that have this declaration on it, it's in tiny type on the back of the label. And if, in fact, we want to, you know, affect change and really have this clear and concise messaging, as we talked about with sustainability, you know, it should be right up front. Having said that, even with this labeling, we haven't seen a difference in sales of, you know, GMO products. And also a few years ago, if you remember, we did a report, Brazil put in a GMO labeling um, with a, you know, a big symbol on, on the front of the package and it didn't affect sales whatsoever. So I think you've got a good amount of the population that frankly um, doesn't care. If, if they have GMOs or not. And as long as the brands are disclosing it properly and completely, um, then, you know, make your choice at, at the supermarket. Uh, 3D printing is one of the things that I've been talking about for many years. I love this concept. And the folks at Rutgers University in New Brunswick, New Jersey, um, have a new 3D printer. Um, what are they printing? You're going to love this, Phil, because it's one of your favorite foods. They are printing chocolate and not just regular chocolate. They're printing a healthy chocolate. Um, they're using a different type of emulsifier um, to make this chocolate. So, so it has less fat in it. Yeah, I think food food printing has so much, um, whether it's changing the ingredients like this chocolate to make it healthier. We've seen the pizza 3D printer on sale 
uh, for probably about five years already. And I still go back to the idea of 3D printing cakes, you know, in supermarkets is the way to go because every time I walk into every supermarket they've got these beautiful cakes that are there and i just have to wonder what happens at the end of the day when you know half of them were sold what happens to the other half and sure i think it's great that they give it to food banks and so on but i'd like a little bit better nutrition given to people (laughs) you know on on food assistance programs than these sugary cakes um, that are designed for happy birthday and happy anniversary. Uh, Talking about cakes, um, there's a fast food chain. Uh, I'm going to call it fast food, um, but it's not fast food. It's called Crumble. If you're not familiar with it, they now have over 700 locations in the U.S. Um, They are relying on social media to get the word out. And I love um, their whole strategy and their whole approach. Um, what Crumble produces are cookies. And what they do is they only have weekly drops of four cookies. So when you go into a Crumble shop, there's only four cookies that are there. Um, truth be told, I have not been to a Crumble. There isn't one here in Southern California, at least yet. Uh, But you look at what they're doing on social media, specifically on TikTok and Instagram, they are the ninth most downloaded app on the Apple Store, not just for food, just (laughs) anything, ninth most downloaded app um, that's way ahead of Dunkin' Donuts and Pizza Hut. Uh, They have 3.4 million followers on Instagram. Uh, McDonald's has 4.5 million, just to give you, you know, an idea um, and, you know, I, I really think that, you know, Crumble has hit on something really smart because every time you go in there, there's a special cookie and it makes you feel special. And, you know, it's, it's almost like going to a dollar store and not knowing what you're going to find and then finding these cool things. What do you think about Crumble? I think this company is brilliant and I think they are really leveraging the popularity of TikTok and video content. They have 6.4 million followers on TikTok and you know Starbucks has 1.9 million. So yeah. that is incredible that they that they have gained that many followers, but it's not surprising because when they drop these cookies, they put out a really cool exciting video um one that I watched had electronic dance music along with it which was which made it even more popular, I'm sure, on TikTok using that music. But it's something fresh each week. So it's exciting for people who are scrolling TikTok um, to watch those videos, to share those videos with their friends, to go in the store because they know it's an event that is only for one week and then the cookie's going to be gone the next week. So they, I really love what this company is doing. And also operationally, um, it's much easier to produce for unique uh, recipes for cookies a week uh, versus having, you know, probably 30 or 40 different cookies. Um, it amazes me, and, I, and I'm going to equate it to growing up in Newark, where you had a bagel place and you had, you know, a plain bagel, you had salt bagel. I want to say you had sesame bagel and poppy bagels, and that was it. You get now go into a bagel place, and there's probably I don't know, 20 or 30 different kinds of bagels. Um, I still like plain bagels best. (laughs) Well, and also think how excited 
exciting it is for the employees too, like that the cookies change every Great week, you know, that, you know, it's not the same thing that they're serving up every week. So it could make the work environment environment a lot more fun. Yeah. Great point. And hopefully they get free cookies as well. Yes. At least, <laughs> at least those for the week. Thanks, Sally. On today's bullseye earlier this month, Aaron Paquette raised an important issue in his column on media post. His discussion focused on what is now one of the most important groups that a brand, whether it be a retailer or a CPG company, need to pay attention to, the de-influencers. The under-the-radar influencer industry is now worth $15 billion a year, and 95% of brands are using them to promote on social media channels. That's mostly confined to the health and beauty categories. De-influencing attempts to persuade social media users not to buy the latest, greatest, or most expensive products. De-influencers deconstruct conspicuous consumerism while promoting sustainability and substituting lower-cost goods. It's also a backlash to the seemingly never-ending product placement phenomenon that continues to grow, even with all the disclosures and controversies. De-influencers are much less subtle than influencers. They call out brands by name. Media Post cites TikToker Maddie B. Wells, who earns 1.8 million views by calling Mario Badescu face cream a monstrosity. By the way, I disagree. Mario Badescu is a great brand. HadyHub.org receives a similar number of views for calling out Dior lip oil as garbage and mid. Jacqueline Mengel accuses Olaplex shampoo and conditioner of making her hair fall out. And Dara Levitin calls Pixie on the Glow blush the tackiest blush she's ever used. They also recommend less expensive alternatives, which in this economy is welcomed by just about every shopper. Even de-influencers have critics, though. They report that they still talk about the products in order to build their own followers. And often, they actually recommend products of their own in place of the ones that they're de-influencing. Not good, not fair. Poquette adds, raises the important issue. What can brands learn from this trend? Here are his tips. Integrate brands authentically. Followers need to believe that influencers actually use and like the brand, a belief that's easily compromised if they're promoting 15 different brands or faking use cases. The goal should be to recruit influencers who already use the brand in their day-to-day -day life, who can offer category exclusivity, or who can convince document in their usage. Vet influencers carefully, he says. It's probably not a good idea to work with influencers who call other products monstrosity or garbage. In addition to his two points, I have some. My recommendation is to find an influencer that truly has the knowledge and passion for your brand. For example, if you're using an influencer to promote your supermarket offerings, make sure that they're a shopper in your supermarket. Don't partner with someone, for example, who's a Walmart shopper, unless you're Walmart, of course. Their heart and soul just won't be in it for you. And it shows. Likewise, choose celebrity endorsers carefully and do your homework. You're the caretaker of your brand. And by extension, so is the influencer that you hire, for better or for worse. Have a meal with the influencer you're thinking about hiring. See how they act in real life and react. In a relaxed setting, you can easily tell if they're faking it or just looking for the payday before you hand over that agreement for them to sign. 
Remember when the Beef Capsule hired James Garner, great actor, to do their TV spots? Well, right after that very expensive campaign launched, he actually had to undergo quadruple heart bypass surgery. Now, the Beef Council tried to blame his condition on smoking and tried to ignore the high cholesterol health facts about beef. With the rise of social media, we've seen thousands of influencers cashing in, and some are certainly legit, and some are doing it just for the money. Frankly, I think the de-influencer trend is a good checks and balances that the industry sorely needs, as long as the de-influencer is also knowledgeable, credible, tells the truth, and doesn't try to sell you their own product or service. The Lemper Report is all about inspiring ideas, making our industry think and challenging each other. Let's think about being the shopper and how we can bring our supermarkets and restaurants closer to meet their needs. I hope you'll join us next week on Lemper Report Live when we focus on the biggest and the best insights and the things that really matter. Be sure to visit us at supermarketguru.com for the latest marketing analysis, issues, and trends. And don't forget to join us back here next Monday at 2.30 p.m. Eastern for more.